Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. I am so delighted to introduce to you today the author of The Stars Beneath Us, professor of physics and astronomy at Agnes Scott College, and I think the most delightful birder on all of Twitter, Wow, Wallace. Wow, that's a high compliment because you I know you follow a lot of birders. I do, but we all have our favorites, you know? We all have our favorites. Well, Paul, you are actually part of the catalyst that got me into birding. You you have this very gentle, winsome energy of you don't have to have a camera. You don't have to have the best binoculars. Just go outside. What is it about birding that appeals to you? And what first got you into birding? Well, I got the first time I got into it, I was about eight or nine years old. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what it was. I have no clue what it was, but I do know that all of a sudden I became fascinated with them. And I began to draw them, and my parents sort of encouraged me. They bought me some binoculars, you know. I didn't really, I was too young to, like, go out on my own. So I just looked around my yard, you know, and stuff like that. But I drew them all the time. I drew them nonstop for about two years. Mm-hmm. And even in, even into my early teen years, I, I kept drawing them. But then I kind of, um, then I kind of, you know, discovered Led Zeppelin and girls and stuff like that. And I just sort of just, just went off my radar, until about pretty much my whole life until about 2017 something like that 20 that's that's uh shortly after my dad died and he was a birder he got hmm. into it he had a life list of about, about 500 species or so and um he got into it and as soon as he died in uh, may of 2016 within 6 months of that I was out again Hmm. Uh, birding like really on purpose you know not just you know oh look at that bird look at that bird I was you know and I got pretty quickly back into it I've heard (laughs) from so many people that the work of grief and the work of birding go together that there's a connection there what was that for you I, I think that um you know the the great the great gift of birding for me is, I mean, there's so many of them. My God, I, I realized that there's really nothing about it that I don't love. Nothing. Uh, I get to, you know, road trips, you know, um, solving small puzzles, you know, like what kind of bird is that that I hear? What kind of bird is that that I see? Being outdoors, uh, you know, not physically strenuous, but still gets you outside. Um, staring at trees, you know, even on a bad day, you end up staring at trees and that's that's good. But the real gift, I think, is that um, when I go, it, put it this way, you know, when I walk into the woods or if I, once I get out of the car and I get going, it's like my blood pressure goes down. uh, I lose my self-consciousness. It's like, I I just completely forget about myself. And uh, my brain, about two thirds of my waking life, my brain is like, really overactive 
and sometimes it gets and often gets like clenched up like a fist you know i just and going out and um just being out in the woods usually in solitude solitude is a major part of it for me um it just it just all that just goes away mm-hmm. just it almost instantaneously i can feel it. it's like a physical response within 15 paces of of getting inside you know under the trees or out under the sky or by the water or whatever it's just it's immediate mm. you love all of it including you're a birder in georgia including the mosquitoes paul be honest <laughs> no i don't enjoy that part no no that, that no uh you 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 found my you you're right you, you i don't know how much time you spent down in the in the deep south but uh we we do have uh a lot of mosquitoes uh i just carry a i, I keep bug spray in my, off in my car i have like several cans of it at, at all times gotta have the right tools right tools for the yeah job. But, but that's one of the reasons i love winter birding so much is that i don't have to worry about any of that you know pretty much by the time may gets here it's you know you really have to worry about it but until then you don't have to winter birding in georgia i imagine is a bit more pleasant than winter birding in british columbia uh, i don't know how they do it you know i can do like high thirties and above I can do, but I don't know how, I don't know how I've got friends up in Canada, you know, up in Saskatchewan. It's like, what? They're going out there when it's like zero. And I just don't know how to do it. I do not. They're tougher than we are. We can just admit it. I think that's the answer. (laughs) And you're tougher than I am with the mosquitoes. I think all the time, would I be as into birding if I didn't live in Southern California where rarely, rarely is fighting me. I'm a, I'm a house cat. Yeah. And then you go down to Florida and they have these little mites, they call them no seams. All of a sudden you feel like a thousand little picks, pricks on your arm. You can't see, you know, you can't see them. Um, you gotta really whole, want it. Florida is a whole different, <laughs> whole different world down there. Yeah. Well, Paul, one of the things I really enjoy about following you on Twitter and reading your books is you are a fierce advocate for the relationship between faith and science. You don't mm-hmm. think they need to be adversaries and your birding is part of that. And I know you served as a, a pastor just until recently. Right. How do you reconcile faith and science? Aren't they enemies? Well, yeah, the, no, no, I, I don't know. You know, I don't think so. In my life, they're not. Let me put it that way. And um, I've tried to live my life in such a way that it, they're reconciled in me at least. Um, so I, I, I don't think of them. I never have, I'll be honest with you. Um, despite some of the stories I tell in my, in, in, in the book that I wrote there and, and one or two others, I, any trouble that I really had between science and, and religion went away pretty early in my life. I reconciled them fairly early. Um, and I just think that um I don't know I I I think that so many approaches to to religion uh, certainly certainly uh, exclude science but you know I mean, we live in one world here and not two not three but but one and I I, I do think that the um at least Christianity, which is all I can really speak to. I mean, I've I've brushed up against others, and I have great admiration for uh, some other religions, but um, I don't see the the deep conflict. I think there's some creative friction 
uh, mm. that, that happens between them. But um, basically, I think that the that the that the that the kind of religion you get when you insist on excluding science is a really is a really static, really um, kind of uh, lifeless mm. religion. And uh, so, no, I don't think that they they contradict each other. Mm. You've shared that birding is one of the things that has kept you in the faith or helped you keep the faith. Can you say more about that? How yeah, does birding because, help you because, walk deeper? Yeah, it does. It does because it brings me into the present, uh, mm. into into the, um, the into the real. <laughs> because, like I said, I live in my head a lot, and that and that really is a strength, but it is a horrible, terrible uh, weakness as well. And I acknowledge that. Um, and I, I can get in my head to where I to where I live, like I've got it all figured out in my head, you know. But but then once, but then it doesn't really always match up with with uh, you know what's real. Um, but when I go birding, it's like a gentle way of getting me out of my head. It's like you know sometimes with difficult family issues or um, interpersonal things, it can be too scary to, you know, to get to just turn around and face it when you, when you've spent the day living inside your head. But it's like being out in the woods birding. It's like, it, it's a gentle off ramp out of my head into the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I do that, I can go home and I can deal with, I can deal with things that are difficult. You know, I can deal with family issues or interpersonal things or stuff at church you know, that, you know, you know how that goes, the things that keep you up at night, you know, you can kind of deal with it better once you get your head cleared out and you get reconnected to the world around you a little bit. And it's, and it's, and it's, it feels, feels safer once I mm. go birding to, to deal with those things. Mm. Not as scary. I've been really amazed at how much of birding is really just about paying attention and that's so much of spiritual practice as well. That's prayer. That's it is. It is. Yeah. It and is. and you started me down this wonderful road with your your phrase, <laughs> a bird from the Lord. Tell me about tell me about your your spiritual practice of a bird from the Lord. Well, that, that's something that started. I remember the, the the moment I thought of that phrase. I was uh, I was in Iowa. I was on the Mississippi River, and I'd seen my and I'd seen my first kingfisher ever. This was you know five years ago or something. In fact, it was, it was 2017, late 2017. And, uh, and I saw my first, and, and, and it was funny because I, I, I was thinking about that song, you know, uh, down to the river to pray, you know, the old spiritual. And I thought, you know, a, a word from the, I thought it, this phrase just came to me, you know? And so I, you know, I felt like this, uh, Kingfisher, it was really great. Cause I heard it before I saw it. And, um, I was like, what is that? What is that? And then I and then I saw it and I realized immediately what it was because I had seen it in books, you know, and that's just the biggest thrill ever when you see a, a bird in the flush for the first time that you'd only ever seen in books. And uh, that phrase kind of stuck, you know, but it is a there is a true sense in which I feel like. Um, uh, I find, you know, God in, in the world. Nature is the shortest path to God for me. Absolutely. Mm. It's the, creation is the absolute shortest path. It's immediate. I don't have to go through any thought process. I don't have to do anything. It's, it's just, a, it's just uh, like you said, it's a spiritual practice. It, it gets me, uh, it opens me, it, it shuts my mind down in good ways. It leaves me a little bit empty. It, it empties me out in good ways in the sense that my mind just sort of 
becomes you know kind of like the you know the the, the calm pool the Buddhists talk about you know it it, it doesn't quite get, it it goes in that direction it calms it and it opens me up and it makes me aware it's awareness it's 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 it's, it's as close to pure awareness as I as I can get in meditation or in any other way, you know, it's, 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 it's a direct path to pure awareness, which I think is a, is a connection with ultimate reality, which mm-hmm. is God. Yeah, for sure. And so often in scripture, it's not believe this right thing. So often in the gospels, it's come and see. We were in John one this week and the, you know, John's disciples meet Jesus and and they're like, what's going on? Where are you going? And he just says, come and see. And then Andrew yeah. grabs Simon and says, come and see. And, uh-huh. and that's birding, right? I'm always grabbing the kids like it's a goldfinch. It's a, you know, <laughs> even if it's just a little backyard bird and yeah. the delight and the wonder of experiencing it for yourself. And like you said, seeing something you've only seen in a book and recognizing it and knowing the name for it. Yeah, it just, knowing that something about the name, I don't know what it is, but knowing the name for it is it's this deep pleasure. It's just, it's like this intellectual absolute thrill to know that it's got a name and that's what the name is. And yeah. aren't names weird that way? Yeah. I and mean, bird names are so delightful. I mean, yeah, so many bird names are just yeah. silly. They're silly. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. But I, I imagine sometimes without their names, and 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 that's interesting too, to think, oh, just this this. You know, it's just this unique creature and, you know, without the name, it, it kind of makes it more mysterious. Mm-hmm. But but thinking of it both way, you know, having the name, but also it, it, I don't know what it is about names, but it, it, is, a, it is a real pleasure. To, How uh, does your work in physics and in astronomy connect to your love of birding? How do they influence one another? I imagine it's different to bird as a physicist as it is to yeah. bird as I'm an English major. You yeah, have layers yeah. that I do not have. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, you know, one thing that happens because of that is like, you know, I spent a lot of my early life, you know, for my, from the time I was, I guess, 19 to the time I was 28 in school, 27 in school learning physics, you know? Um, and so I got to know this one subject fairly well, I don't certainly know all of it. It's 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 a topic. You know, nobody can know all the physics. Nobody can. It's, it's just too much. But I got a glimpse of it, you know, and I realized just how huge and deep a subject physics is, you know. And then I go out. So you know, I had that with me at all times. You know, just this admiration for the complex, both the simultaneous sort of simplicity and complexity of of, of physics. And then I go out into the woods and I'm standing there and I hear things that I don't really know. And I see some things I don't really know. Some of the things I do know, you know, I do know the white-throated sparrow. You know, I know that. I know the pileated woodpecker, you know. But I don't really know that much. I know their names. I know what they look like. I know how I identify them. I know the male from the female. But what the knowing physics does for you is gives you a deep that that world in the woods is at least as deep and at least as complicated and at least as rich as physics. You know what I mean? And so it gives you sort of a a sort of sense of humility. Like my God, I'm, I'm barely, I'm just touching the surface of this thing. that's all around me all the time, you know, because if physics is, is, is a life study, so is, you know, birds. So are, you know, trees. So is, you know, just ecology. And so I'm aware of the depth, depth. It makes you sensitive to the depth of the world that in a way that you would not be otherwise. You know what I mean? 
Antidote to boredom. <laughs> yeah. Yes. about that. Yeah, Darryl, right. Yeah. Daryl had a professor once, a, a professor of Old Testament, who said, eventually we will just know what every verse in the Bible means. We will just have it figured out. And Daryl raised his hand and was like, no. <laughs> right? Like, there, no matter did, what. Did the professor more, really say that? Yes. No matter what, there are more depths to be mined in Scripture. No matter. I can't what, imagine more, having that viewpoint. <laughs> right? Like, how sad, how anemic a view of faith and the writings of God. And 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 birding to me feels like that. Like, I, yeah. I, have, I have morning doves in the back yard and you might say, oh, they're just morning doves. Everybody has morning doves. There are morning doves all over. But the more I look at them, the more I study them, the more I can tell the difference between them. And one of them is grumpy and one of them is, yeah, right. is generous. And and right. you know, there there is always more to learn. And, and yep. I think there is something about hitting midlife that for many people, you kind of hit this point in your career and hit this point in your family and think, okay, what else is there? Like, I have i don't know what to do. And that's when people start looking around and making bad choices and, <laughs> and, and behaving badly and, and to realize that there is so much more yeah. out there to discover and that some of it is just right in my yard. Yeah, and I think that's why, I mean, there are young birders out there, there's no doubt. They're all over Twitter and I love that. Um, but I think there is a real reason why when you go out among birders, they typically, you know, skew 50 and older. I think it's because, it, you know, I'm 54. And when you start hitting ages like this, you know, the reality is, is that options are closed. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, and, and, and in kind of a freeing way, to be honest, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a thing that uh, you want to run from. It's, it can be hard, but when, when you accept it, I think it, it can be a kind of a gift. But what happens in a situation like that is you're like, well, what what do I have? And you look in your backyard and like, oh, you know, these birds have always been around. You know, saying it's this kind of thing like they're always right there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of a, a it's kind of a, a gift maybe of of older age that you start to um, notice things that before you maybe you didn't notice because you were too ambitious or you were too involved in raising the children or you were whatever, you know, you're just too bit too damn busy, you know? Um, But I think as, I think it's one of the reasons why is that people start, start, um, you know, noticing in a way that maybe you don't have time for when you're younger, Mm -hmm. you know, there are gifts to aging. Oh, there are. I tell myself as I Take my morning ibuprofen. There are gifts. <laughs> yeah, there is something worth growing up for, even right. even for us. <laughs> this, yeah, for us parents, you know. <laughs> totally. Are any of your kids birders? Have you managed to convince? Well, them? I've got three kids. One's twenty-two. One's twenty, and one's fourteen. And I would only outside immediately. I would say no. Um, not yet. Not yet. But, you know, this is one of those things like education. You just sort of share it with them and you send them off on their way and it grows. It's like planting a seed, you know. Mm-hmm. Of, of of the three of them, I kind of expect my middle kid to be the one who might later in life really pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a little ironic because she's the one who I've seen the least. Um, but we're, mo- we're the most alike. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who is who would be quicker to say, you know, let's let's go outside. Hmm. So maybe Julia will be the one. I don't know. We hold out hope. I'm still, <laughs> we I'm still working we on Daryl. <laughs> so do. you're not yeah. a voter yet. Not yeah, yet. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You know, by the time I started, um, let's see, Kristen was ten. 
and the older ones were, you know, 18, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, years old or something. And they a little late for them. And, and Kristen is, is sort of a, our youngest one is sort of a, uh, she's an, an avid indoors woman, to put it that way. You know, she, she, <laughs> we need just, those two. We need those two. And that's, you know, she's not one to get out and just be really active. Um, she likes to you know, draw and sing, and do hmm. sort of indoor things like that. That's good. We need that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you had a beautiful, this, one of the reasons I love following you on Twitter is you tell these little stories in under 280 characters, these little yeah. encounters. And one of the ones you shared recently was a friend who asked you, are you still a Christian? And you said, oh, yeah. yes. And he said, tell me about that. <laughs> and, and you responded, yeah. let me show you some duck photos. Yeah. It was actually, it's actually a student. A and, student, uh, okay. Yeah, who asked me that, but I didn't want to. I don't know. I just I just said friend because I, this is this particular friend. Uh, this, the, where I teach is a women's college, hmm. um, but there is there are some sort of graduate and uh, sort of post baccalaureate programs that I teach in, and one of them has male students, and this is a particular student named Kyle. Why did you not lead him along the Romans road, Paul? That is how we explain. (laughs) Oh, my God, the Romans road. Um, (laughs) No, we have some pretty far-reaching comments. He comes in every every Friday at 10, and we just sit and talk for an hour. Mm. And he asked me that question. He said, you know, I know you were a pastor. You know, what do you do still? So it went like this, you know, you you were a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. You know, he said, so did you drop out because you – angry about it, you know, or that you decided, I said, no, 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 it was strictly a, um, you know, to be honest, it was kind of a financial, you know, and, and, uh, uh, you know, stability kind of move that I made. Um, he said, well, you know, tell me about your theology. And I, and I really, I was like, look, I got, I just had these great duck pictures from Florida. Right. <laughs> so I was like, look at these ducks, I, you know, and I sort of basically, you know, the, it didn't go, it wasn't like I was able to, you know, convince him that, you know, Jesus is a personal Lord and savior, uh, and, you know, in the language of my youth. Um, but I basically was like, look, you know, if this creation, I was starting from creation and I said, look, you know, I, I just really am convinced in a way that I cannot let go of that. When you look at these ducks, when you look at, the world around you, trees and, and physics for that matter, relativity and all these things. It just, oh my God, it's like glimpsing the matrix, you know, um, that all these, that there's something really, really, really important kind of behind all of this and something really fundamental and something really, really good mm. behind all of this. And, and I, and, and it's, and it's an absolute, and I can't, I, you know, I tried to be an atheist for a while, but I couldn't pull it off. It's just like, I just can't, I just yeah. can't. And, and, um, and creation was really the thing that is just, mm. you know, I don't want to use the, you know, maybe it's a cliche and I hear people say it. And when I hear people say it, I kind of wince a little bit that, that and maybe I wince because I agree with them, but I don't, I wouldn't use the same language when they say, I just can't believe that all this just happened. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that this is all, simply purely accidental. And I think I do agree with that. Um, some of the language around that I, I kind of makes me um, uh, get a little defensive, but, but I think ultimately when I calm down a little bit, that I do, that I do think that, that I do believe that, that it's just too much. 
the hmm. world around us is just too much to think that that um it's in any sense accidental or any sense um purposeless and and this this conviction I have that there's something behind all of it hmm. and it's not simply and it's and it's not impersonal it's not also not it's not it's not totally totally personal either. I mean, there are impersonal aspects to God, I think. And I think that, you know, you see that in in parts of creation, you know, but I I am convinced of it and and it does start with ducks. You know, it really does. (laughs) It starts and ends with ducks. First circle circle with ducks. You know, it's funny to say it ends with that because I've gone through a lot. Of, I've, I've I've struggled with theology my whole life. I always fight in my mind with God. That's part of what gets me so clenched up all the time, and it's not mm-hmm. good for me. Um, but I have sort of, to be honest with you, I've kind of stopped thinking in theological terms. I absolutely believe in God, and I do believe that the Bible, as we know it, and is is what lies beneath beneath that, and what that's really about is the same thing that I'm talking about. Hmm. Um, but I just don't, I have a, I, I have a hard time thinking in real theological terms anymore hmm. on a daily level. I just, I just don't, hmm. I just don't, it really is about the ducks anymore. <laughs> and I think that that illustrates this beautiful partnership that there is between science and faith, that if all truth is God's truth, yeah. then the wing beats of a mallard are part of that revelation. They're part exactly of that right. natural theology that that leads us deeper into an appreciation and into wonder. I think yep. so much of my, I grew up evangelical free and you know I learned the Bible really well, but it, it was also very um, rigid in certain ways. This is what it is. And I think the more I learn about birds and the more I learn about creation, the more I'm turned to wonder, which I think is the heart of the gospel. Come yeah, and I, see. This is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I like that come and see piece. That, that's really good. Cause I'm thinking about wonder a lot. And, you know, the, you mentioned, you know, the, the wing beats of a mile, you know, watching ducks fly is really amazing. Um, and I think about children and how they see something like that for the first time. And they're, you know, they're knocked out. They're like, what what in the world is that? And I kind of feel like at my best moments that I haven't really progressed from this. Like it's either a return to that or I'm just haven't developed or I don't know what it is. But I do feel like that that is the essence of 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 religion for me. It's 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 presence, it's openness, and it's seeing things, even though I'm 54, seeing them as if for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an openness to that of, I, I heard a, an interview with Amy Peeler, who's a professor at Wheaton College this week. She was on the Holy Post podcast and she was just talking about reading widely and not being afraid. And she said, one of the things my liberal arts education gave me was yeah. this perspective that you can read everything and you don't have to be afraid. And I think natural yeah. theology and, and stepping into creation is a piece of that, that it's not about, oh gosh, you know, you didn't make it into the kingdom of heaven because you were two inches to the left or two <laughs> inches to the right, or, you know, God asked you this specific question and you were like well i'm still figuring that out but there's this idea that that um openness and wonder and the opposite of fear i think which is discovery and interest and uh which doesn't mean you know every idea out there is a great one but it does mean that we don't have to have this defensive posture toward the world toward science 
Right, and then and actually that there there is a little bit of that that attitude at the heart of science as well, which is let's go figure it out. Let's just go look and see what happens. And if you're closed off, and if you think you know what's going to happen, or if you insist on interpreting things within a certain framework uh, before you even start, uh, you're going to miss out. You're not going to see what's in front of you. You're not going to see the thing. You're not going to be. You're not going to. You're going to miss it. The particle accelerator doesn't care about your hypothesis. Is that what right. you're saying? Well, it's funny, though, because our, our experiments like particle accelerators are, are born out of the framework that we walk around with in our head. So there's, there's, a, there's a back and forth to it. Hmm. But but yeah, in that sense, I mean, you know, what was it Annie Dillard said about a particle accelerator? She had some words about that. She said that, you know, what oh, she's a physics lab. She said, uh, uh, like, what's the difference between a cathedral and a physics lab? You know, aren't they both basically saying hello? Hmm. You know what's out, you know, what's out there, mm. what's the, what's the world like? And, um, so I carry that around in my head because, um, she's somebody that her, her prose is so good. It just makes me, makes me sad. <laughs> I've got Pil- Pilgrim at Tinker Creek is right here. I'm right. Yeah. I'm yeah it hurts my, it hurts my feelings, my... you know, it hurts my feelings that she writes like that. Yeah. Right. She yeah. gets at the heart of a thing, but she yeah, does yeah, it without she, being yeah. preachy or yeah. rude yeah. or. Yeah. God. Yeah. She does. She does. And she said about that book, she said, you know, had an interview and somebody called her a nature writer and she kind of bristled at that. And she said, no, this is, this is a, this is a work of theology. This is not a work. This mm. is not nature writing. Mm-hmm. Which of course is both, but but yeah. I think that her point was that there's something behind what she was writing here beyond mm-hmm. just the surface of the of the uh, of you know the creek and the animals and so forth that she wrote about. There's there's something there to unpack. I think that all all work when it's done to its fullness has a theological component to it. Absolutely. Science and, and, and history and. And and I think I came to that after, you know, for, and I think that's, I think it's one of the things that makes people, that, that confuses people about the science and religion, the compatibility is that, is that if, 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 if you can think about the world in certain terms, then every act you do is a theological act. And when you do science and when you teach science, when you learn a new subject for the first time, it's all theological activity, all of it. Yeah. And to distinguish them and to put them in these boxes is to do a great disservice to theology, because the you know what I mean. Not so much to physics. I mean, maybe to physics as well, but physics does kind of stand alone in its own kind of way. That's one of the things that science is that way. It's sort of it's limited. You know, it's got a narrow field of view. That's why it's so powerful. But but physics is limited in a way that theology is not. Hmm. You know, theology, if you look at the Bible, right, this is one of the things I love about the Christian faith is that, it, you know, it, it, Scripture, it, it didn't satisfy itself with just the Gospels, you know, maybe a few letters of Paul, you know, maybe a little something like that. I mean, this starts with, like, creation and ends, like, you know, the end of time. It's cosmic. It, yeah. Religion, our faith is completely, totally cosmic. And it has, its vision is nothing less than, like, the whole thing. It construes mm. the entire cosmos. It doesn't select bits of it here and there. You know, it's about everything. That's why it starts with creation. It makes the point that this is about everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, you know, so when you do anything, if you do it well, you do it unto God, right? If mm. you do, if, 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 if you do it with, with purpose and you do it with attention, mm. um, 
And that's just as true of loading up the dishwasher as it is about this, this publishing is right. the physics paper. This is right. I remember reading some story about, it's one of these, you know, uh, sort of um, desert father kind of stories you read, these little pithy little short. Those are so things. delightfully kooky. I know, I know. So I just love them. those are so kooky. Yeah, I love them. I got some over my bookshelf over here. But something about how, you know, this guy went to go find some some master, you know, out in some, you know, some essential local saint, you know, who lived out in the woods alone, some hermit who was thought to be this holy man and all this. And, you know, the the point of it was, I can't remember how it went, but basically the the guy watched, he found the guy finally and watched him tie his shoes. And like, that was all he needed to see was him tie his shoes because every act this guy did was done before God and done with mm. absolute purpose and absolute attention. Mm. And that's that's a little, that's one of those goofy little, uh, you know, Desert Father stories. But the point is that, yes, blowing the dishwasher, taking care of your children, um, you know, making lecture notes, just making some lecture notes here, you know, anything you do, as long as it's worthwhile work, you know, done done with attention and care is, is prayer. It's, you know, mm. and it can be. Yeah. I would like to say that my entire life in the last 10 years has been spent in that, in that state of mind, but burning gets me close to that. It, 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 mm. it brings it, 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 it brings me back to that over and over and over again. Mm. So in that sense, it really is a spiritual practice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have been amazed at how it has, deepened and strengthened my prayer life. And I've been, a, I've been a, you know, I've been walking with Jesus since I was five years old, but this, this has been the most transformative spiritual practice. It really has, has it? And, yes. and, how, and, and let me ask you a question. I mean, you're the host here, but still, how did you get started? I mean, you told me that it's been fairly recent, but, but what was it that, I mean, was it just, you saw something and you felt a, an itch and you had to scratch it? Yeah, you know. the, the pandemic trapped us all inside for a bit. And I finally actually started looking out my window. And there was a little black and white bird in my backyard. And I noticed it was back the next day. And I thought, I should know what that's called. What is that? <laughs> and little, little black Phoebe. Yeah, And that just started this, what else haven't I noticed? Yeah. What else haven't I noticed? I never noticed bird song. I never noticed bird calls. Uh, I live here in Southern California where we have, I mean, we are so spoiled. We have eight different species of hummingbird, you know? And it, it, wow. it really just... Wow. All I could do a lot of those months in the pandemic was, was, you know, manage my, my church digitally and take care of my children and try to school them digitally. And I went for a walk every day or I was going to lose my mind. And on those walks, I saw birds. And the nice thing about the pandemic is that you, it was good to be outside. Yes. You know, as far as not spreading it, it was good to be outside. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of folks, you know, for you, it really stuck. I mean, a lot of people, I think, you know, maybe started noticing the birds out there and maybe them some of them came birders for, you know, a season, but for you, it seems to have really stuck. It has, there's a delight to it that I didn't expect. And just like you said, the more you learn their names, the more delight is there. Like, Oh, 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 that's, that's this kind of hummingbird versus that kind of yeah, hummingbird. Right. And it's so multi-layered because it's sight and it's sound, but it's also mm-hmm. some detective work of, okay, if I go to the right. marsh today versus the marsh next month, you know, my, my husband laughs at me because I think for about two weeks, every spring, people who are birders should not have to go to work. Because... God, oh my God. You know what, Courtney, <laughs> the end of spring semester like late April, early May, is this? It's the worst, and that is, of course, uh, is torture. Yeah, it is absolute torture. 
And with migration, if you miss that bird, you've missed it. You know, maybe you it'll it, migrate right. back in the fall, but maybe it migrates then, somewhere yeah, else. Yeah. Maybe, you know, you it, might yeah, have 12 right. months till you get a chance to see whatever it right. was anymore. Right. What's, what's spring migration like in Georgia? What are you looking forward to? We're recording this in January. It's going to air in February. What are you looking forward to in the next couple of months? Well, um, one thing I've noticed is that, well, Agnes Scott, the college where I teach, was not on eBird until last Ooh. year. Got to fix so, that. Yeah, we're, we're up to like 85 species here now. But I, what I realized was that it really is a great place for migrating warblers. And I, you know, there's a couple really good hot, you know, how there's certain little, maybe, you know, wind sheltered corners here and there where birds are just always, they seem to love, you know, certain spots. There's a few spots like that that are really good. So, you know, I, I want to see all the usual suspects. We We get a lot of uh, as many people do, a lot of migrating warblers um, through here, coming down through Florida. Most of the ones that we see go down the Florida Peninsula and over the Gulf. Um, mm. But we're not on the coast. Um, but we still get a whole lot of of of, of, of migrants. And there's a few warblers I've never seen before that mm. I'm still probably three or four species that I've not seen. Um, that I can kind of, that are regularly seen around here, you know, I mean, not a lot. You might Does that see. feel personal? Like everybody else has seen them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what I, what I can't do is I can't be on those darn email lists. Uh, that, you know, because as you know, because of the internet, we, you know, you can get on a list and every day get a list of what's around and what's been seen. I can't do that. I got a family, I got a job, you know, it's just, that's, I did that for a while and it was so stressful to know that, you know, three miles away, you know, they saw a white crown sparrow, which is unusual around here. Mm. And I don't have a white crown sparrow. I've never seen one. You know, I got a meeting You're in an hour. You're going to come to California. We are lousy with white crown sparrows right <laughs> oh, now. I have it's said, like I, the most common bird <laughs> in, in the trail. I, I did actually see one, but I've only seen the one and not, <laughs> not, not, not too far from the college here. But that kind of thing over and over again, I've got a meeting in an hour. You know, I could make it, but I'll come back and I won't be ready for the meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it was just that over and over and over again. You know, it was a Rufus hummingbird. Oh, my goodness. I, you know. And I have seen a, I did see a Rufus hummingbird, which is around here, spectacular. Mm. I mean, it was like mm. crowds of people. This one, it's kind of like the owl with you. This this woman had opened up her backyard to everybody to see this Rufus hummingbird in January, you know. Um, mm. But I just couldn't deal with that kind of stress. Yeah. And there are so, different styles of birding, right? And some people live for that, the adrenaline of you hop in your car and you drive and you see the thing. But like you said, you have a job, you have a family. This, yeah, is, not the, and, this is not the season for that. You're more of a meditative birder. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And that, and that kind of mindset is I don't really have it anyway. It's not good for me anyway, because I'm, yeah. my mind is sort of on overdrive all the time anyway. Yeah. And so I really am of sort of, well, if I miss it this time, that's just a, that's something in the future that's going to be just a great day. Mm. Like, if you see you know, them all now, what's to look forward to? Right, right. Uh, like, like when I uh, was at my local patch and I was there with my daughter, my my youngest daughter, and we're just walking. And when I take my kids or somebody, I don't really bird the way I normally bird because it would drive anybody else crazy. I'm so slow, you know. I'm so slow. And I go back and I go forward and then I go back again, you know. But she was with me, and we stumbled into a Wilson's warbler, which around here is mm. like uh, that's you know rare bird alert kind of thing. 
you know, great. I got my, well, you know, it's much, I'm much happier just to see what comes and to not be, I'm not a, I'm not a twitcher, you know, I don't go running yeah. out for, you know, if I'm able to, if I got the day off, sure, I'll get in the car and go do it, but I don't do it daily. And there's that prayerful piece, right? Of asking right. for a bird from the Lord. God will bring right. to you what God has for you in that well, exactly. day. And there's, there's a trust yeah. piece. There's it's, a, a day, it's not the daily bread, it's a daily bird, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's actually what I need. I can leave the bread, yeah. I need the bird. Yeah. And, and we're headed into Lent. So we're going to pick back up true. the the bird from the Lord. I, oh, I asked you, you, yeah. were, you were so generous. I said, Paul, can I borrow? Oh, you take it. You, you take it. It's yours now. And now. thank you. That's, that's, that's really <laughs> kind. But what we did last year was we hashtagged it on Twitter and we invited right. people to spend 10 minutes near a window. If you're somewhere chilly or outside and, and just wait and pray for a bird from the Lord. And it was so fun. It turned into this ecumenical practice. We had, you know, some, some rabbis join us and Catholics and Anglicans and people who don't yeah. espouse any sort of faith, but said, I could, I could use this in my life. And yeah, right. my favorite were the stories of folks who said there really aren't any birds near me. And I said, well, why don't you try anyway? Yeah. And then they, they would realize, oh, yeah. I just wasn't looking. Exactly. That's the thing about it is that yes, there are birds around you, <laughs> even though we've unfortunately lost over a quarter of them since 1970 or whatever the number is. There's yeah. still plenty, there's still plenty of birds around you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something else I don't do so much is I, I tried it for a while was to like, like to get a certain number every year, you mm -hmm. know, I realized that, you know, I'm, what I'm doing, I get about 200 species a year, but I don't, I, I tried making it like a numbers goal for a while, but I'm not the same mind with that. I, I, I'd be disappointed if I didn't get 200 every year just because mm -hmm. it's got its benchmark in my head, but I don't, I don't push and push and push and try to do better than I did the year before or something like yeah. that. I just my, put myself out there. My husband and oldest son this year are reading the Bible in a year, which is lovely. And they invited me to join them. And I said, I can't do that because it becomes like this pushing, striving. I don't yeah. retain anything. I'm like, okay, right. today, five chapters, right. got to get it done. And, and I've learned for me that the same is true of birding is it needs to be slower right? in right, part because I'm not a slow person. Right. I'm a very intense, very fast right. person. So right. God, God has something different for me. Exactly. So much of the rest of my life, just work in, and, uh, family life, uh, is, you know, you, you gotta do this. It's the stuff you gotta do. It's, you know, it's on you. And, and I think that part of the, you know, there's an aspect to birding. It's kind of like when I, when I go when on a plane, it's like when they started putting Wi-Fi on planes, I was like, I stop it, stop it. Because it's this chance to just nobody expects anything from me. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm four hours completely out of it's like it's like time aside. It's like set apart. Nobody can get to me. Nobody expects anything of me. And that's kind of and I love it. I I love flying because I and I love road trips because of that. Yeah. Um because, you know, as a parent, uh, you know, there's a lot of demands on you all the time. And for me, it's a it's, it, birding is a time when there's no, you know, mm. there's nothing driving me, nothing driving, driving, driving me. Mm. Where are you finding hope right now? Hope. I've been thinking about hope. I've been thinking about hope lately. And, you know, it's funny because somebody put on Twitter the other day, you know, uh, what keeps, you know, what keeps you from losing hope? That was a question. You know, these questions people put on Twitter is just like, 
you know, these just to just just to get responses, you know, I, there's a word for that. I can't come up with the word is, but basically it's one of these questions, you know, what gives you, you know, what keeps you from losing hope? And my honest answer was I can't find the off switch. It's like, <laughs> you know, I I know some people do lose hope. Yeah. And I've been close to it, but I've never gotten there. Um, um, but one of the things that keeps that, that, that one of the actions I take to give me hope and to keep me connected with it is birding. Mm. You know, it really is. There's a couple others that I, that I do, but that's the main one for sure is because for me, hopelessness, I'll tell you what hopelessness looks like. I've alluded to this a couple of times during our, our conversation is, um, is it's all up to me. Mm. It's, it's all up to me. It's like, it's like, and when I get into that, that clenched mindset, uh, that fisted mind, I like to call it. It's like, I turn back on myself and it's all up to me. It's like everything I got. It's all up to me, everything. And it's, it's a real kind of um, ego kind of thing, weird ego thing, but um, that's hopelessness to me. Mm. And I feel like, you know, I've just got to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've got to master life. Mm. You know, um, I've got to figure it out. I've got to master life. I got to find the formula to master my own life. That's hopelessness to me when it's all on my, on, on me like that. But like I said, when I go birding, it gives me hope because it reminds me of who I am mm. and my frame. That is my scale, my size. And it, it puts me, it right sizes me, you know, to mm. use a French term. You know, it, it, it reminds me of the bigness of the world and of the cosmos, frankly, because that's where I spend a lot of my mind is not just on the planet, but, you know, because I do astronomy. Um I, my mind is, is a lot of places and, and it reminds me of that. That's one of the great things about astronomy, by the way, too, is that it mm. has a, as a way of, um, of reminding you of, of who you are and, mm. uh, your size. Yeah. And, uh, it's really refreshing when you can really embrace that, when you can really, that's one of these great things about science in general is that when you can embrace our location in space and time, and this is not to say that we're unimportant because I certainly don't think that's true, but it is a great, uh, it's a great relief mm. when you realize that um, it's not all about you or even about your family or even about your tribe, or even about your, your church or your college or your country, you know, um, that there's something bigger than all of that. Yeah. And people can resist it because it is a little bit, when you really start to think about scale of space and time, <laughs> if you really let yourself absorb that, um, it can really set off the uh, existential alarm crisis a little bit. Existential crisis alarm. Right. It can go. Uh, it, I can see how it could go both ways. It could it, drive you deeper into hope or it could drive you into, well, nothing matters because I'm this right. little speck on this little right. ball that's flying right. through space at a million miles right. an hour. Right. And when you really start to absorb that, it it, it can take your breath away mm. um, and in good and bad ways. But I, I really think that for me, it's a it, it it's ultimately a good thing um, because it, and it gives you a little bit of a good sense of humor. You know, <laughs> you can kind yeah. of laugh, you know. Everything's not so dang important. 
Yeah. And um, in the sense that um, you need to ruin your mental health over it. Mm. You know what I mean? There's, um, there's a beautiful freedom to that. Yeah, like God, yeah. God's got us. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, yeah. God's got us through time, yeah. through space, through history, yeah. through right. this right. difficult we, meeting right. that I'm headed into. Right. right. We're, we're not everything. We're very small, but we do belong here. Mm. We What's do belong a, here. Beautiful way to put it. So Paul, your favorite bird is a bird I have never seen. Tell me about, tell us about your favorite <laughs> bird and why of all the birds yeah. in the world, is this your favorite? Uh, I, I think it's well, it's an owl for one thing. And I think that's really why it's my favorite is because it's an owl. It's the barred owl. And it's, it's not a particularly large owl or even a particularly beautiful owl, but it's the owl that I have. You know, it's the owl, it's my owl. It's the one that um, here in, in Georgia, even in close to the city, I live in Atlanta. Uh, really, I, I live in a, a town called Decatur, which is uh, was here before Atlanta showed up. And um, it's sort of an inner, what you call an inner suburb. You know, so it's right up against the city limits of Atlanta. And even here, uh, these owls are they're common. Um, I hear them probably two nights out of three. Hmm. I see them maybe one burning trip out of 20. I actually see them. Um, and so they're not like cardinals, you know, you don't have card. Do you have cardinals? You don't have cardinals. You don't. I miss cardinals. Not, Wisconsin well, well, had cardinals. Yeah. Well, cardinals here are just like, they're just like, we're overflowing with them. And I literally see 10 a day without mm-hmm. trying. Um, whether you want to or not yeah whether I want to they're not like that but they're also not uncommon you know in the sense that I see one a month or hear one a month you know they're they're around just enough to where I know I I can't ever forget they're there because I hear them so regularly Um, but I think I just love owls because I've always loved um, the night I've always loved Mm. the the night and kind of everything it stands for which is you know kind of uh, quiet kind of uh a little bit spooky but not really you know um kind of yin compared to yang you know the sun mm-hmm. is yin uh, yang and the moon is yin I pre- i've always appreciated sort of the more introverted more um introspective side of things and i think the night sort of is part of that um you know, negative space. There's all kinds of things I could say, but but that whole aesthetic is one that I've always drawn, I've been drawn to. So I think it's why it's an owl, and mm-hmm. it just so happens that the barred owl is the one that that I've got. And so, and I've got several pictures of them, not too many, but it's very arresting. You know, when you're walking through the woods and you look up and you see one looking right, like not far away, looking right at you. It's quite alarming. <laughs> and I don't get that response with any other bird. That's because the owl's eyes are on one side of its face. Right. I was going to say with a songbird, it's yeah. looking at you with one yeah, eye. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. cute. It's not just, yeah, yeah, yeah. cock. Side, but, yeah, it's like, it's yeah. like it's, yeah, but but an owl, you feel like, you know, you're being, your soul is being uh, inspected, you know, and uh, praised. Yeah. And uh, something about that, the spookiness of that, I really love. <laughs> You, you like know. you like being judged. <laughs> no, it's just it, yeah. No, maybe I do. <laughs> by I don't birds, know. only yeah, by, by, birds. by birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take it from a bird. <laughs> but uh, just that that uh, that that is just part of creation, and this animal is so intently. And what I always want to know is, what do I look like 
mm. and those eyes that don't work like my eyes, you know, what do I look like and mm. so forth. So it's got to be, yeah, it's, it's the owl. It's got to be the barred owl. Barred owl, my kingdom for a barred owl. Someday yeah. I will see a barred owl. I have yet to see an owl in the wild besides the snowy owl that everyone in three counties have. I can't believe that seen. owl showed up in Southern California. I mean, that's that's as odd as one showing up here. It, it's bananas. It, it really, really is. It really uh, is bananas. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I I think about her though, and I think that she's gonna have a heck of a time finding a mate. Yes. Yes, I, I guess she'll make her way back up, though. I mean, I wonder if she's lost or if she'll make her way back up for, uh, you know, the summer. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's it's going to get hot here, and I think she's not going to like it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people up north, they get excited when, you know, like in Wisconsin, in your native Wisconsin, they get excited when they see a barred owl. I mean, a, a snowy owl. Oh, for I sure. Can, I just can't imagine. For sure. I yeah. saw that huge crowd of, of birders you had there. It was amazing. Yeah. For those of you who aren't up on Southern California bird culture, a snowy owl made its way down to Orange County, which hasn't happened in over a hundred years. So has it been that long? Yeah. Wow. It was very wow. exciting. It's it's uh, how far it's, from your house was it? It was about 45 minutes. Wow, yeah. I, that's great. Well worth it. Well, well worth, worth it. it. Yeah. yeah. I, I offered to take any of the kids and they were like, Mom, seriously. So I don't yet have any small birders in my house either, but I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, see, I never had my kids when they were that young. I couldn't yeah. shape them, you know, when they were yeah. quite that young. Yeah. <laughs> They'll either become great birders or they're or like never, like the never birders, you know, right. like. <laughs> please stop, mom. Please yeah. stop. Um, well, Paul, how can people find you? How can they get their hands on your beautiful book? Uh, the Stars Beneath Us is just one. One, I've got a, a few others. One is sort of academic and it's about history of astronomy. And I've got two books that really deal with science and religion, uh, Stars Beneath Us and one called Love and Quasars. Um, this is such a great title. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you can find them both at pwallace.net. Hmm. They're both there on my on my website, pwallace.net. Perfect. I will link to that in the show notes. And are people welcome to follow you on Twitter? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the more the, the more the merrier. Paul yes. is so much fun on Twitter. I cannot recommend Paul's Twitter feed highly enough. Also, we didn't talk about this, but you're a bird photographer, amateur bird photographer. Oh, very so. amateur. Yes. I'm I'm a I, I'm kind of a perfectionist. A lot of people in academia tend to be that way, but I I'm, I'm trying to live according to the uh, maxim uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Um so I'm more or less of a monkey with a typewriter when it comes to pictures and what you're seeing is literally one in a hundred. The ones that show up on Twitter are literally one in a hundred. You know? My favorite are the ones you label slightly out of focus warbler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. I got a Chris. Yeah, 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 God, they're hard. They're hard because they're shy, whereas most of them are shy, whereas like kinglets and things like that, they're small and they move a lot, but they're not shy. They'll get up close to you. Yeah. But warblers typically stay high in trees and. Yeah. So, yeah. So my joke is that I take perfectly clear pictures of birds that are just themselves intrinsically slightly out of focus. Right. It's, it's not yeah. your fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's just yeah. how warblers are. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But you share some of your photography on Twitter and some of your insight and wisdom around faith and science and astronomy and all these lovely things. You call yourself a, a Saturn apologist or a Saturn. I love I love the planet Saturn. And it's, love the planet it, Saturn. It, it's only partially scientific. It's partially scientific, partially emotional and aesthetic as well. Yeah. 
tell Saturn. tell us uh, what is interesting about Saturn's poles because this is one of my favorite. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the things that that I, I I was in astronomy for a long time before I realized that at the Saturn's north pole, uh, you can sort of see these bands of clouds and so forth on all the big gas planets, but. With Saturn, they're a little subtle, but you can see them. And on the North Pole, one of these cloud bands is very clearly in the shape of a perfect hexagon. Bananas. Which, which, you know, you don't normally think of as happening on that scale. You know, you get snowflakes, they're hexagonal, mm. right? And they're they're very small, but they're very small. And that's like, okay, I can see where that comes from, um, from the crystal structure. But this is it's a big, huge hexagon. And yeah. I and they and they have papers on it. But I've I've never read them enough to understand them. It's amazing. Once a year or so on Twitter, Paul will post. This is your annual reminder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's Saturn's a huge poles. hexagon at Saturn, just at the North Pole. Just oh, just the at North the pole. North. I was just thinking both North. poles. No, just the North Pole. I South was, is I was not giving incorrect information no. to my husband you know, last night. Jupiter's got the great <laughs> red spot, and Saturn's yeah. got the got the great hexagon. The North Pole. Yep. Yeah. See, see, and those are the facts about creation that drive me deeper into faith like that's just amazing like god has yeah. a sense of humor there's yeah. why does a giraffe have a seven inch long purple tongue unless god has some sort of a sense right. of humor like that's right. just silly there can be no other explanation yeah that's that. that's yeah. what i think but you know i'm a pastor and, <laughs> and you are a pastor as but well see, so what do we but, know but see the thing is is in even when i hear an evolutionary explanation for it it doesn't that doesn't replace for me any theological in fact it sort of deepens the whole theological it doesn't yeah. And I think that gets back to your earlier question about faith and science is that I don't see those things as either or when yes. I hear an evolutionary explanation for, you know, you know, the whale's hip bones mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, it's like that, that doesn't draw me for away from any theological it draws me deeper into theological understanding, not, not further. So yes, that God can handle our, our deepest questions and that God can use whatever methods God chooses in order to create, in order to bring things about that. It's not that's right. That's it does right. not have to be so scary. That's right. That's right. Mm. And well, scary. Paul, thank you so You're much welcome. for the gift of your time. This was such a delight. We've interacted over Twitter for years, but this is the first time we've actually this spoken. Is, that's true. And it's very exciting. And I, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, one day I'll come through Southern California. Maybe you'll come through Atlanta. And uh, that'll be a good day, which, whichever happens first. I'll bring my bug spray. Yeah. If it's between really April and November. Yeah. (laughs) Goodness. Yeah. I'll bring one of those hats with a net over it. Yeah. Uh, Well, Paul, thank you so much. Blessings on your work and your ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the gift of your time. You're welcome, Courtney. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Your soul. Is it that?